Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Oh, yes. I mean, and this is, yeah, scene five. This is the starting at like line 72-ish. That's the Mm -hmm. big. That's the speech that like Maul, the character Maul is known for. Oh, well, why don't why don't you read that? And we'll just we'll go with that. Just just the speech? Yeah, why not? Okay. Unless you want me to say I'm your hired horse, or, <laughs> which I wouldn't because you're going to be Maul. So <laughs> um, maybe I'll just say I'm your hired whore girl. Just like pipe or, in. Pipe in. Yeah. Be like, I'm, you I'm can call me whore. sir. This play is all about the performativity of gender. You can call me mm, sir no, if you I... want. I don't care. <laughs> Welcome to the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show, or should I say, welcome back. We're back. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. We back. We back. We back. Welcome Did to season <laughs> six. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> How do you really feel, Jess? How did we get this far? Who who keeps letting us do this? Wishes and prayers. <laughs> and uh, you know, we we do. We That's true. keep letting ourselves That's do true. this. Yeah, I suppose we could at this point just be screaming into the void and it, it makes no difference whether we have listeners or not. Frankly. <laughs> I presume people are still listening to us. Yeah, but I think, I think so. I don't, I don't know about it in any meaningful way. Well, you know, way, we so. surpassed the 700 mark of Twitter followers over the summer while we were on hiatus. And we That's not nothing. I mean, it was zero very tweets. gradual. <laughs> <laughs> like right. We were at, we were at like 690-ish and we got to 705. So like, it's not massive. <laughs> it's not a massive uh, progression. Yeah, but, but it's, you know. But it happened. It's a milestone. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, <laughs> hey, hi. How are you? Hi. How hi. was your summer? I um madness. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. Uh it was it was full, I tell you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. My summer. It happened. How about you? Sure. Same. Uh <laughs> you know, I worked all summer. I taught three classes. Um so I didn't I didn't really feel like I had a summer. Um My last summer class ended on August 19th, and then our first day of fall was August 22nd. So, yeah, yeah, it was there was not a lot of um, like downtime or break time for me, Mm. but um, it's chill, it's awesome, you know. Also, I moved, um, you know, 300 yards, (laughs) maybe, maybe not even, maybe 100 yards. had a whirlwind romance that went to hell in a handbasket. Got some new plants, you know. Went to New Jersey. Ugh, why? Because of <laughs> the aforementioned whirlwind Sorry romance. to our <laughs> listeners who live in New Jersey, except kind of not sorry. I've heard about you. Okay. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah, no, it was like, uh, it was chill. It was a chill summer. 
and now I'm I'm heading into week four of my semester. So it's, it Yikes. feels like a, a distant a distant past. I'm I'm at this point being like, all right, Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> can't come soon enough yeah so yeah anyway um yeah cool i just got back from a vacation i went to yeah, california for two weeks yeah you did yeah haven't hadn't been home to my homeland since 2018 so shit it was nice to be back and see family and friends it was good yeah i haven't been home since 2020 so i feel ya it was good except when i came back and somebody had stolen my catalytic converters out of my prius so that was a great welcome home. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that for you. Right I don't like that for me either. <laughs> it's not fun for me. No. Anyway. <laughs> well, moving on. Let's let's you know get to the reason that we're here. Oh yeah. Which is um you know not early just, modern plays. <laughs> oh, not just to like have you know chats um all right so if you're new here i welcome first of all uh i'm not sure how you found season six without seasons one through five but uh this is what we do here um every every time that we do an episode uh we discuss a different play sometimes it's by shakespeare uh although these days more often than not it is not by shakespeare um this week it is a 101 one level episode for thomas middleton and thomas decker's the roaring girl aubrey tell the Woo-hoo. folks what that means yeah so 101 level is introductory stuff everything you need to know to have a general wash of understanding of the play and its themes if we can find them or if we bother to uh and some other cool stuff that you'll get nowhere else like our opinions if we can be bothered to find the theme yeah i mean sometimes i just can't be asked to like look deeply at a text okay you know Um, most of the time i can because that's what i do for a living and for this but like you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. anyway okay uh (laughs) happy hour what the hell is happy hour it's It's happy hour right we have a sound effect clink yep and then it's um it's shit that we like because the world is terrible it's a terrible place um and so we we want to wreck things that are good and fun and anti-racist and you know in service of um the greater good whether that is you know giving you something fluffy or something a little actionable yeah um okay summation of whatever it was that we scripted years ago that was no that was really good i'm glad we got that recorded so we could you know, repeat that for next time. So should, oh, what we shit. should use every time. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So my recommendation is this thing that I found over the summer. Truth be told, it was through an Instagram ad, but like, wowza, mm-hmm. what an algorithmic prediction. They were like, hey, I think Aubrey might want this. Um, it's an app called Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A. And it is basically, it's like audio erotica. But <laughs> oh, it's fan fucking tastic. No, I know you recommended it to me, and I was I like, "Did," but I didn't remember the name now, and I'm just delighted that you are wrecking erotica on on the pod. I yeah, like, is this our? Have we grown up? Is this our grown up moment that we can wreck erotica now? Have I? Yeah, maybe. I guess. Okay, I mean, I but let me tell like you, there's sex a lot. But there anyway. are multiple reasons why I love this app. 
One, Great. hit me. Every once in a while, they bring in like celebrity voices, you know, to be voice what? actors for them. So that's fun. Like who? Um, like, um, I mean, they're kind of niche folks. It's we're not talking like A level celebrities <laughs> yet. I think honestly, I think that's just because this app is relatively new. But like, people okay. are going to catch on. Um, okay. But if you have watched Shrill, and if you are familiar, or um, I don't know who they play in. Uh, 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 Grey's Anatomy, but they also play a doctor in Grey's Anatomy. ER Fightmaster, um, is the name of the actor. They are a non-binary Sorry. actor. ER Fightmaster. I know what that's an their amazing name. name. I know that's their name. Oh my god! <laughs> I know that's their name. Okay, carry on. Also, they're like insanely hot, and their voice is fantastic. Amazing. Um, yeah, so that's just one. Um, if anybody is familiar with that one guy who played that one character on Insecure, HBO's Insecure, um, I know oh. his face. I just don't know his name. <laughs> Which oh, hang one on. guy did he play? Uh, Sarunas J. Jackson is his name, and I hope okay. to God I pronounced his first name right. Um, he's Which also one guy on, did he play? Uh, he played uh, Molly's flame that had like the open marriage oh he's hot hot yeah oh my God, so hot. people like that people like that who are like you know around in good in good stuff as actors but not like you know it's not like angelina jolie or something but anyway right. um so they have sometimes celebrity voice actors they also have um I mean, they're like full-on storylines. They are sex positive. They are body positive. They are all gender positive, um, which I think just all by itself is like progressive AF for an erotica venue. Um, They have written stories. They have podcasts. They have entire series of short little erotic fun stories of every gender combination you could think of. Also, erotica tropes like uh, hookup, rough and wild, dirty talk, dominant, off limits, um, crush, friends to lovers, all kinds of stuff. Whatever. Take your pick. Amazing. Um, Yeah. They also have a wellness section, like sexual wellness that they, you know, um, so guided stuff by sex therapists. They have a whole sleep section of like soundscapes and what they call sleepovers, which are sort of (laughs) my low-key favorite, where it's like your favorite voice actors like talk you to sleep. It's kind of (laughs) great. So there's like a fire crackling, but there's also like a sexy British voice being like, go to sleep, my love. It's awesome. Um, Anyway, so this app has made me really happy. I just love it a lot and I want everybody to love it. Um, So that's Dipsy. It's fucking great. Go awesome. find it. Yeah, okay. it is. You get like a month for free and then it's a paid subscription after that. But it's, f- in my opinion, fucking worth it. So that's what I got. What you got? Cool. Uh, well, to balance that, I mean, <laughs> the, the other end of the spectrum, um, I am here today to wreck uh, open access textbooks Ooh. via UNM, no, UMN, which I think is the University of Minnesota. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what those letters stand for. Uh, Anyway, we're going to link to it. Um, Mm -hmm. But they're they're open access textbooks. They are totally free um, because that's what open access means. But also you can like 
chop them up and reorganize them. You can do whatever the fuck you want with them. Um, and they're arranged by subject. Uh, and most of the ones under the literature writing and poetry or whatever the fuck that category is, most of them are about like writing and like technical writing and writing Mm. for college and like boring shit like that not like Mm -hmm. creative writing or anything Mm -hmm. um but they do have they have some good like subject anthologies and shit in particular um there's a an open access version of romeo and juliet uh which was created by rebecca olson who's at oregon state university what up corvallis go beeves Um, just kidding. I don't fucking care. <laughs> I know I'm from there, but like, I, I, I just is out here shits. repping the beavers, y'all. I don't <laughs> care. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If like, if I'm choosing between the beavers and the ducks, I'm going to choose the beaver because like, that's funnier. Um, but I don't care one way or the other. Uh, anyway, the, the <laughs> open access version of R and J is pretty damn good and the problem the problem with most um open access versions of shakespeare plays is that they they contain the text and not much if anything else like most of them don't have notes um any any supplementary information and this one has all of that Cool. And it's it's re, it's re, I'm so full disclosure I'm going to use it in my class when I teach R&J in I don't know 3 weeks or some shit. Um so it's got, you know, it's got an introduction and then the the DP and then it's got the play, right? But then it also has um this section on educational resources for teachers. Mm. Uh, and so there it there's there's some um it's like an annotated bib basically, um, on racism and ableism and classism and then contextualization. Um, and so it's just like brief little blurbs, um, about, you know, a couple of articles on whatever topic. Um, and then also there are supplementary lesson plans and there's one Ooh. for, for each act of the play. So for act one, the, the lesson plan is on family dynamics and misogynistic language in the early modern period. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I'm just and who like, who put these together? Uh, Rebecca Olson at OSU. Oh, right. Um, okay. with, I, I so believe, she did all of those lesson plans and stuff. Yes. But with, with the help of, um, like a, a, a group of students. Um, yeah, we are much indebted to the teachers and students who took the time to answer our questions and share experiences and lessons plans. And then there's like a list of, I don't know, five or six names. Um, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of of people involved in the project. Um, it's really, it's really cool. And also is making me think about like, you know, the next time I teach a Shakespeare class, like maybe this is something that our class could do is like pick a play and create an open access version of it. Right. And like, yeah, wouldn't that be kind of cool and fun? That would be so cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, all of that to say, uh, we're going to throw you the link in our show notes. Um, so go like if, especially if you're an educator, go poke around in there, see if there's, there's something in there that you can use. Um, the, the, it's it's oh there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot there Mm -hmm. um and it kind of runs the gamut um there were there were even like 
a couple of like learning language texts in there, one for like Japanese and one for Latin. <laughs> so, sure. you know, it's just all over the place. Anyway, um, the end. Happy hour over clink. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> just a wide swath of literature here mm-hmm, on offer mm-hmm. in our in our happy hour this week. Great. You know? Um, now it's time to meet or re-meet the contemporaries. You know, I actually just did a quick little look while you were um, waxing poetic about erotica. Uh, (laughs) And I don't think we've ever actually introduced Thomas Decker. Yeah, I don't think we have either. So... I opened up his wiki page. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So like Thomas Middleton, blah, blah. Everybody knows who he is. We've done a lot of Middleton plays. Go listen to one of those if you want to know more about Tommy Mids. But okay, continue. What do we need to know about the other Tom in this collabo, Thomas Decker? So thank God (laughs) there's just not that much to know about him. Um, cool. So yeah, so he he is you know he's a contemporary of all of these folks, right? Um, right. I I hate to contextualize everything via Shakespeare, but it does make it kind of easy. Yeah. Um. So Shakespeare lived 1564 to 1616, and Thomas Decker lived 1572 to 1632. So okay. you can you can get a good um sense of when uh Decker was hanging out. Uh-huh. Um. He was a, a dramatist. He also wrote you know a, a lot of other kinds of writing, as many um many of them did. Uh. Mm-hmm. My my favorite thing on his wiki page. <laughs> <laughs> is you know how you know how when you're looking up the wiki of a person um in the right hand column there's usually like a picture of them like their yeah. portrait or yeah. you know whatever um this one has a title page Ooh. for decker his dream um which was published by nicholas oaks in 1620 okay. uh and so it's called decker his dream period or maybe colon in which comma being wrapped with a poetical enthusiasm the great volumes of heaven and hell to him were opened in which he read many wonderful things (laughs) and then and then underneath that lovely title is a woodcut of thomas decker asleep in his four-poster bed wearing like the author in repose yeah he's got like a nightcap (laughs) and um so i'm a little obsessed with that um anyway we don't know much about his early life uh maybe his parents were dutch question mark um he probably had like a normal grammar school education because uh he knew latin Ooh, this is interesting. Uh, we we have a sample of his handwriting from the manuscript of Sir Thomas More. Oh, um, so he was one of the hands. Apparently, apparently, huh. um, okay. he he worked, uh, you know, as a playwright. Obviously, that's why we're talking about him today. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Admiral's Men under Philip Henslow, um, where we show up. Not we. He he shows up for the first time in 1598. Most of his work uh, is is in collaboration, uh-huh. um, and this is really interesting. Between 1598 and 1602, he was involved in about 40 plays for Henslow's Whoa. company. That's a lot. 
um and like i know that they were super fucking prolific back then and like collaboration makes this like extra easy but uh, i was 10 plays a year that's like basically one play a month yeah you know if we're gonna take time off in the summer and maybe for christmas whatever like (laughs) what's a weekend right what is a weekend um anyway so he he collaborates with Middleton a bunch. He collaborates with uh, Johnson a bunch and Marston a bunch. Shoemaker's Holiday, which we have not done an episode on. We have not. Question mark? Okay, we maybe should. Uh, is is a fifteen ninety nine play? So it's it, you know an early ish play for the English stage, mm-hmm. um, and is his masterpiece. And also uh, is just kind of an important play, um, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much all that's worth talking about ben johnson didn't think very much of decker well i mean ben johnson didn't really think much of anybody except for himself except for himself um but yeah he called decker a bumbling hack a dresser of plays about town (laughs) amazing (laughs) which i find kind of just kind of funny yeah um poor guy was had money troubles mm-hmm. like um, you know most of them did like most of them did um he was in debtor's prison for a while uh he was in debt to john webster's dad of all people um all right well just real quick <laughs> uh so shoemaker's holiday is like the thing that he's known for however yeah. um he also worked on Lust Dominion, The mm. Witch of Edmonton, mm. The Virgin Martyr, uh, the play that I can never fucking pronounce, Satyramastics. Okay. Satyramastics? Whatever. Sure. The Triplicity of Cuckolds, The Madman's Morris, Hannibal and Hermes, uh, a Troilus and Cressida play, an Agamemnon play. The Merry Month of May, which is a poem. Old Fortunatus, Patient Grissel, mm. The Seven Wise Masters, Fortune's Tennis, Cupid and Psyche, Fair Constance of Rome, Blurt Master Constable, which I have read and remember <laughs> what a good nothing name. else about. Blurt, is it a command? Blurt Master Constable. No, I think I think no. his name is Blurt. Oh damn. His, his I mean, but again, I've read it and I have no memory of it. Well, I prefer um, it as a command. <laughs> Also, importantly, question mark for like Shakespeare people, uh, he worked on the second part of Sir John Oldcastle. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, huh. And then another play called Christmas Comes But Once a Year. <laughs> Isn't that a song now? Probably. Probably. Um, he worked on The Honest Whore. He is in two out of the three ho plays westward ho and northward ho (laughs) yep um okay if this be not a good play the devil is in it uh and then of course you know today's play the roaring girl yeah yeah he really did have his fingers in a bunch of pies didn't he he got around yeah he got around okay anyway uh, yeah, so that was Thomas Decker. Woohoo! Um, now it's time for our five-word unhelpful title. Mine is Mall Cup Purse Makes a Cameo. Yeah, and mine is I don't get this play. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, this kind of this play does kind of go 
the way of a lot of Shakespeare's history plays. And by that, I mean the titular character actually doesn't have a lot of stage time, which is kind of how I feel about Maul Cuphurst's role in this play. It's a lot of she she makes a cameo every once in a while, says hello and goodbye, kicks a guy's ass and then leaves. Can um, you show your work on that comment about Shakespeare's history plays, though? Because I feel yeah. like like Henry the Fourth. He doesn't get a lot of he, oh, like right, that play is far how. more about right, how right, 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 and, and right. Falstaff yeah, or King John, who's barely in his own play or. OK. Uh, All right. Yeah. Fair, you know what fair, I mean? fair. Yeah. I, uh, yes. My my brain went to Henry five. Oh, yeah. Then the Richards. And I was like, this is I should not have been more clear statement. about <laughs> Cymbeline, you know. Sure. Is yeah. Named. So I made a general wash. It's like yeah, got it. four of the twelve. But like it's a it's a it's a not inaccurate statement. <laughs> so very good. Uh, okay, let's talk about some characters. Yeah, dramatis personae. Woo, do it. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna start with Sebastian Wengrave, who is a young gentleman, and he is Sir Alexander's son. I assume we'll learn who Sir Alexander is forthcoming there's <laughs> mary Fitzallard, his fiance and then mall cuppers who is the girl who roars apparently mm-hmm. there's sir alexander wengrave sebastian's dad he's a knight yep uh and then we have one of the best names in all of early modern drama ralph trapdoor or maybe rafe trapdoor uh who is an out-of-work lowlife mm-hmm. i bet you he enters from the trapdoor every single time <laughs> um, and I that's actually that, <laughs> that actually is um when our campers did this two or three pre-pandemic like two or three years ago he mm-hmm. did he entered through the trap door every single time good. um because why not it's in the name yeah. it's no, textual um yeah. we have laxton who is ostensibly a gentleman but mostly a misogynist mm-hmm. he is sir alexander's pal then we also have goshock who's a gentleman and also sir alexander's pal we also have Mistress Prudence Gallipot. She's a lady. And her friend, Mistress Rosamond Openwork, who's a citizen's mm. wife. Mm. Openwork, yes. Um, we have Master Hippocrates Gallipot. He's an apothecary. And Master Openwork, who doesn't get a first name because mm-hmm. he's just a tailor. <laughs> and we have finally Sir Davy Dapper. Oh, bless. Mm-hmm. A usurer and a knight. And his son, Jack. Davy Jack Dapper. Dapper. It's just, just a just yeah, cute they're names. Good names. They're, names. They're really good names. It's, you know, classic <sighs> city comedy, fun yeah. names. <laughs> All right, Aubrey. Um, why the fuck should this play be so goddamn popular? Because I don't fucking get it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one, it's it's Middleton classic Middleton city comedy nonsense, which means that if that's what you want, you know, it's got Randy neighbors who are all up in each other's beds. It's got silly marriage plots. It's got, you know, like, as we noted, good names. It's just entertaining. Um, Plus it immortalizes an absolute legend, Mary Frith, AKA mall cut purse. Um, and it's because of her and her presence in this play and the fact that Middleton, I don't know, wrote in her in as a cameo. Um, this play gives modern audiences the chance to look at the performativity of gender uh, and in, in a slightly different way than like Shakespeare's pants roles does. Right. Sure. Um, this is a this is a female bodied character 
who dresses quote unquote like a man she dresses masculine she doesn't and she doesn't do it to preserve her virtue or to go and hunt down a boy mm-hmm. um well not sexually or romantically hunt, hunt down a boy she does hunt down some dudes in this play and kick their butts <laughs> but um but it's for different reasons right she does it unapologetically she does it out in the open people know that that's what she's doing um and if that's not you know de rigueur i don't know what is so um I I love it. I think this play it's not like it's not deep cuz again I don't th- I don't really think city comedies can handle deep stuff. Um <laughs> so it's not, you know, it's not that deep, but if okay. you want um if you want a fun play that also kind of hits at and and just throws darts at gender um and sexuality to an extent, then, then yeah, this is the play for you. I think this is a fun one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, we mm-hmm. will now summarize the roaring girl for you in a segment that this week we're calling maybe a summary will help Jess get this play. <laughs> Cross your fingers and toes, everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also see. just a, a note about the summary this week. Um, yeah. Most of the time, I write the summaries myself, um, usually while I'm reading the play. I did not do that this time. Mm. Um, so the the summary is based on uh, the plot summary in the Wiggins catalog. Okay. Um, and instead of dividing it up by acts, it is divided up by plot. <laughs> so we've got yeah. the, the main plot and the subplot and then the sub subplot. So we're going to. Yeah. Well, and the play itself is not divided by acts either, just by scenes. Yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So this. Yeah, you know, one way to do it. Anyway, uh, yep. okay, so here we go. So Sebastian Wengrave is supposed to marry Mary Fitzallard, but his dad cancels it because he's mad about the dowry because, like, money, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Sebastian plans to get dad to change his mind by pretending to be in love with Mall Cut Purse mm-hmm. because I guess Mary Fitzallard is the lesser of those two evils. Anyway. For sure. Sir Alexander hires Trapdoor to spy on Maul by being her servant. And then Trapdoor tells Sir Alexander that Sebastian and Maul have planned an assignation. Uh, and the two men plot to use this meeting as a way to get Maul arrested for theft. This is um, a, a completely made up plot on their, their part. Right. Uh, Sebastian and Mary meet in secret then Sir Alexander gives Maul counterfeit coins. Then Maul fires Trapdoor for being a spy. Then Trapdoor resorts to being a beggar, pretending to be a former soldier to gain sympathy. So Maul hires him back, and this time he's loyal to her because she's the one paying the bills. Mm-hmm. Sir Alexander hears a rumor that Maul and Sebastian have run off to get married, but actually Sebastian marries Mary. Uh, so Sir Alexander finds out that his son hasn't actually married a criminal and he's so relieved so he lets sebastian and mary have some land and live happily ever after while also forgiving maul for her role in all of this yep super smart that sebastian he's a smart guy uh so in the subplot laxton and gosha are having affairs with mistress prudence gallipot and mistress rosamond openwork Laxton also has a date with Maul, but he's horrified when she shows up wearing pants. He sends Prudence a love letter asking for money. Mr. Gallipot catches her with it, and she lies and says she was engaged to Laxton before she married Mr. Gallipot, but that she thought Laxton was dead now. 
What? Prudence convinces Mr. Gallipot to buy off Laxton's claim on her and thus gets Laxton the money that he wants. Laxton, buoyed by his success, pretends to try to extort more money from Gallipot, but then gives back the original payment because he a dummy. Meanwhile, Mr. Openwork tells Goshawk that he's an adulterer as well. Goshawk goes to Rosamond, thinking it'll break her heart and drive her right into his arms, but she sees this as just as Goshawk trying to get into her pants, and she lives happily ever after with her husband. In the sub-subplot, mm. <laughs> Sir Davy Dapper tries to get his son to shape up and fly right by having him arrested and imprisoned, but Maul and Trapdoor help him escape. Later, Maul saves him and his friends from being robbed by people she knows, though she claims that knowing petty criminals and how they operate doesn't make her a criminal herself. The end. The end. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, again, it is city comedy nonsense. It's like idiotic yeah. middle class city people doing stuff that Middleton thinks middle class idiotic city people do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get any, well, it's whatever. Okay. So it's it's time for a taste of text in which we read a small but crucial scene from the play to give you a little bit of its flavor. So I think, um, despite the fact that I have said, and I do maintain, that Maul is not in this play nearly as often as she should be <laughs> to be the titular character, mm -hmm. um, she does have a pretty iconic speech sort of in the middle of scene five, um, which which I think makes her quite memorable. And this is the thing that if you have read this play or if you've been lucky enough to actually see this play, this sticks out to you as like the iconic thing from her and her character. Right. This is why she's the roaring girl um, for a little bit of context. This is the part uh, in our summary where we talked about Laxton and Maul having a run in. Uh, and Laxton pretends also or is, tries to, you know, meet up with Maul and she calls him out in a big, big way. Um, he's like, oh, my God, you're wearing pants. What? Um, and she, like, threatens to draw her sword on him. And he's like, I'm not going to draw a sword on a girl. Uh, and she says, uh, well, he asks, can you just read me in? Actually, Jess, would you mind reading Laxton's lines to read me in? Draw upon a woman? Why? What does mean, Maul? To teach thy base thoughts manners. Thou art one of those that thinks each woman thy fond, flexible whore. If she but cast a liberal eye upon thee, turn back her head, she's thine. Or amongst company, by chance, drink first to thee, then she's quite gone. There's no means to help her. Nay, for a need wilt swear unto thy credulous fellow lechers that thou art more in favor with a lady at first sight than her monkey all her lifetime. How many of our sex by such as thou have their good thoughts paid with a blasted name that never deserved loosely or did trip in path of whoredom beyond cup and lip? But for the stain of conscience and of soul, better had women fall into the hands of an act silent than a bragging nothing." There's no mercy in What durst move you, sir, to think me whorish? A name which I'd tear out from the high German's throat if it, if it lay ledger there to dispatch privy slanders against me. In thee I defy all men, their worst hates and their best flatteries, all their golden witchcrafts with which they entangle the poor spirits of fools. 
distressed needlewomen and fallen wives, fish that must needs bite or themselves be bitten, such hungry things as these may soon be took with a worm fastened on a golden hook. Those are the lecher's food, his prey. He watches for quarreling wedlocks and poor shifting sisters. Tis the best fish he takes. But why, good fisherman, am I thought meat for you, that never yet had angling rod cast towards me? Cause you'll say I'm given to sport, I'm often merry, jest. Had mirth no kindred in the world but lust? Oh, shame, take all her friends then. But howe'er thou and the baser world censure my life, I'll send em word by thee, and write so much upon thy breast, cause thou shalt bear it in mind, tell them twere base to yield where I have conquered. I scorn to prostitute myself to a man, I that can prostitute a man to me? And so I greet thee. Hear me! Boom! Mic drop, bitch! Right. <laughs> like, yeah, you can see why that's, I mean, that's kind of her whole deal. Um, if you get cast as Maul, like, that's the thing you're itching to say. Is that sure. stuff right there. She's like, I'll make you my bitch, bitch. Um, but she <laughs> says it, you know, a little more, a little less like Lizzo and a little bit more like Thomas Middleton. <laughs> <laughs> Although Fair. a Lizzo version of this play would be fucking amazing. Just yeah, saying. I'd watch that. I'd pay so much money to watch that. <sighs> so anyway, that was our taste of text. Go read the play or go watch it at your nearest theater that happens to be doing it, which is nowhere. Rude. I know. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the play. Yeah. So, uh, the play dates to at least 1611, maybe earlier. Um, it was printed and performed the same year. Um, and then it's been a minute since we've like really talked about city comedies. So what the hell are city comedies? This is the question. Uh... I'm, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. So yeah. So city comedies, um, are a Jacobean generic, uh, invention, which was pioneered by Ben Johnson and Thomas Middleton. <laughs> of course, you know they're they're the the heavy hitters in this genre. Um, yeah. But we also get Marston, Decker, Day, Webster, and some others. Um, boy acting companies, child acting companies like the Children of Pauls and the Children of the Chapel, primarily performed city comedies after Elizabeth the First death in 1603. That's wild. Why would city comedies be deemed appropriate for children? Babe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's neither here nor there. I'm just just musing out loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh I I mean, you know, they weren't they weren't really children. I mean, they were children. They were like, they were boys companies. They were child actors, but like they were working yeah. children. So, right. you know, it was their job. Um, anyway, <laughs> city comedies uh, are satirical and sarcastic and realistic and also democratic. So they are almost always set in London. Um, and they concern themselves with mostly regular people. So we've got like middle class citizens and then maybe some minor lords and nobles. Right. Mm-hmm. In in um, in this play, we've got a couple of knights right. um, in uh, but, but Shoemaker's Holiday. Um, we have also some minor nobles. And now I'm immediately wondering if I'm remembering the wrong play. <laughs> anyway, like occasionally you'll have like like there might be 
the younger or youngest son of mm-hmm. the king. Like you might you might have a prince <laughs> interloping through. Um, right. But you know, generally it's it's just like regular people. Um, you know, there's always not always, but there's often talk about. Mary Wives of Windsor being Shakespeare's contribution to the the city comedy genre um, but mm-hmm. it's really it's really not a city comedy it's not a really great fit so for one thing um, Windsor is not a city for one it's it's a town right. um, so Ben Johnson uh, that asshole wrote that city comedies should portray quote deeds and language such as men do use um, so the way that I think about city comedies is you know, in, in the same way where like many of the great movies set in New York, like kind of use New York as a character itself, London mm-hmm. plays a role in city comedy. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I like that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is, it is a robust genre. Uh, so our earliest one is going to be 1598 with Johnson's every man and his humor. Um, and then one of the last ones is messengers, the city madam in 1632. So this play goes all over London. It is fucking mm-hmm. everywhere. We've got Bankside, St. Paul's, Miles End, Tiburn, Gray's Inn Fields, Spitalfields, Ludgate, Smithfield, Bedlam, the fucking Fleet, Westminster, Newgate Prison. We've got the Fortune Playhouse. We got the Swan Playhouse. We got fucking Lambeth. We got Blackfriars. We got the Tower. And also we got a lot more. Like those just are a real just real tour. Yeah, those are the places that I thought might sound familiar to some of our listeners. Yeah, Uh, I left out the the more minor ones that like even I didn't know. And I was like, yeah, anyway. Um, And then finally, now that now that we have an idea of what the fuck a city comedy is, let's talk about Maul. She was a real fucking person. Yeah. And a legend. Um, she yeah she was cool so her real name's mary frith um and she lived from about 1684 1584 not 1684 1584 to 1659 mm-hmm. so the term roaring girl comes from roaring boys uh which is a term for like basically early modern frat boys Mm. um so these were these were bros from like lower social classes who behaved aggressively and belligerently um and pretended to be better than they were but Mm. they weren't because they were early modern frat boys who were drinking and partying (laughs) and boozing and you know okay wearing chinos and uh ralph lauren polos and um (laughs) drinking jungle juice i don't know it's been a minute since i've been around a frat boy uh right okay so her dad uh mall's mall's dad was a shoemaker um she was apparently uh, a bit of an unruly child so yeah her uncle who was a minister um tried to send her to new england as a girl to teach her better behavior but she jumped overboard before the ship set sail uh and then basically avoided her uncle for like the rest of ever she was like i mean Deuces, i would bro. too that's yeah. like a death sentence in the yeah. 1580s and 90s to be sent to yeah. the colonies to teach you better yeah. behavior that's a fucking death sentence i'd have jumped ship too yeah god damn um, that's extreme in in her uh age of majority um she mostly 
when she when she went out, she wore a doublet. She wore breeches, which are traditional men's clothing for the time. Yeah. Um, there's one record that says that she had at least four burns on her hand, which is a common punishment for thievery. Um, and in 1612, she was sentenced to wear a white sheet in St. Paul's during the Sunday sermon, um, which apparently was a punishment that had very little effect on her behavior. Uh, there's one guy who, like, saw this and, and was like, oh, yeah, no, she was weeping and she appeared penitent. But that was probably because she was just, like, really, really drunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> she got shitty ass drunk to get through this. Um, yeah, yeah. She kept parrots as pets. She also bred yep. mastiffs. Um, and she loved her dogs. Loved them, loved them, loved them. They each had their own bed with sheets and pillows. <laughs> which That's is so cute. Adorable. <laughs> um, and she made, she handmade their food herself every day. Um, there is at least one other play that was written about her, but it's lost now. Um, she was definitely a thief. This is a thing we know. Uh, she was also definitely a madam. Yes. Um, and she was a madam kind of both ways, right? Like she she would pimp young women for older mm-hmm. men, but mm-hmm. she would also pimp men for older women. Nice. Um, so it's just like she's an equal opportunity madam. Uh-huh. Um, you know, she's just she's she's fascinating and she's cool and. I wish that this play, maybe you know, maybe the reason I don't get this play is because there's not enough mall in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying there just isn't enough mall. Like, I want, all I want is this stuff. Like, I want her mastiffs. Yeah. I want her jumping overboard. I want, yes, I want a biopic of Mm -hmm. of Mary Frith, basically, is what I want. That's really what I want. Yeah. Um, Yeah. All right. Why don't you tell us about some shit <laughs> yes all all of the cats in my house agree more mary frith more malt yeah. peppers please yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for the mastiffs part i don't know how they'd feel about that <laughs> um okay okay so i just had some some thoughts um i won't take up much more of our time but like thinking about how you know like i said before this play has the opportunity it offers us the opportunity to uh bring gender and gender fluidity into the discussion right it's already out there people are already talking about it um i think i think this play even more than shakespeare's pants plays um which people do you know it's like oh yeah 12th night and what is gender and as you like it what is you know um, by romantic attraction or whatever with Orlando like you know sometimes Shakespeare plays I think have to be a little shoehorned because they do always um, as a as comedies do right end up in that neat sort of heteronormative ending right that's how a comedy works it ends in somebody's marriage um, and somebody else feeling weird about consent um, but this one because she's a side character and she openly abjures marriage um i think the actual mary frith and did end up getting married that's what the notes yes, say in yeah the, she she um, had a, a a husband named like love love 
<laughs> Wait, what was it? Say it again. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a stupid name. It's got something. It starts with an L. That's unkind. It, it's dumb. Look, it's love, dumb. love, 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 it's, love. It's, well, anyway, my point is, my point is, it's not. You know, um, obviously the the roaring girl character, the mall cuppers character, is a Luke Nor. Okay, okay, that is kind of a dumb Luke-nor. name. Luke-nor. Luke-nor. L-E-W-K-N-O-R. Oh, okay. Not it's, love it's love. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I just love that you said it. It was really fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, like she married and actually, you know, for all of the shenanigans she committed, like the real, per- the marriage actually probably would have offered her a lot of safety. Um, yeah. in which to do that yeah um which i find ironic uh but yeah so middleton she got married yeah, right yeah he seems yeah. like a pretty permissive guy if or you know or a useless guy or something like he clearly did not hinder her in any type of way um i don't know what their marriage was like but it did not seem to stop her from doing whatever the fuck she wanted so <laughs> nope. good for her um but yeah, so like this this character, right? She is a um, an exaggeration of the real person. Um, one fun thing, I think, is that Mary Frith, aka Mall Cup Purse, actually was. Let's see, the very first lines of the notes in my Middleton anthology say, uh, "She may well have been the first English woman to perform in a public theater." Uh-huh. Kind of, it seems kind of by accident. She just like showed up on a stage in 1611 and started playing and singing, playing an yeah. instrument and singing. Yeah. Um, not not seemingly with anybody's permission. Nope. Um, but anyway, so like this, you know, this character never wants to get married. She kicks the shit out of anybody who tries to tell her what to do. Um, but she will, she steps in um, as an intermediary for this sad couple like she totally goes along with this young couple's uh plot to be the decoy right and she's fine with that um so i think it offers us a different way of confronting gender performativity especially considering that at least in the early modern period the thought was amongst many people the thought was that if you're wearing quote-unquote men's clothing it will actually transform you somehow into a man and and hand out that was dangerous mm-hmm. right uh so philip stubbs writing against cross-dressing women in 1583 says therefore one to wear the apparel of another sex is to adulterate the verity of his own kind implying that the woman who dons a doublet alters her gender actually becoming part male in nature and this again is from the introductory notes in the middleton anthology by coppelia khan edited i assume that's the editor and that is yeah she's great yeah um so so it's it's just a cool way of examining gender and the performative performativity of gender i wonder what might be brought into the discussion if uh if if you cast a non-binary actor or if Maul were, if or if we found some way to make it very clear that Maul was ace or asexual, right? Um, like how can how can we queer that if you want to, right? Um, don't have to. I think it already offers quite a bit to talk mm-hmm. and think about, but I think there are some opportunities in casting, um, and in in costuming and in interpretation that can make this um, a really ex- could make it a really exciting production. Um, for the zeitgeist as it were Um, also because she just transgresses all kinds of boundaries you have the chance your costumers for sure have a chance 
um, to play around with social fluidity, right? Um, and thinking about uh, sumptuary laws at the time uh-huh. and like, um, and how, um, she, you know, not only did she transgress gender boundaries all the time, but she did flow between high class and low class people and everywhere in between. Um, and how do our clothes reflect that, you know? So thinking mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I really enjoy her character. So I really wish that there were much, much more of her in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's just some stuff. That's some stuff that I think about. I think to the she's a great foil and all of everything that she is is a great foil for the really heteronormative stuff that's happening in the a plot and the b plot right like the neighbors fucking around on each other the young couple trying to get married i mean it's very commedia dell'arte in that way Mm -hmm. right you've got the young couple who their older parents don't want them to get married and or at least one of them doesn't want them to because of money or whatever. And they try to, you know, they struggle and they finally are able to get married. Um, and there's lecherous cheating husbands and, and wives, uh, you know, I think it's the wives in this one, (laughs) but yeah. Uh, so I think she's a great foil for those things, for those very conventional things, uh, within a quite conventional and popular city comedy convention. So that's what I'd think about before producing this play. And somebody should produce this play. It's it's fun if you do it, it right. It's a lot of fun. I feel like it gets done. And I don't know why I feel that way, because let's be real. The last time I was in a theater was <laughs> it's been a minute. Oh, I don't wild. even remember. Like, I don't even remember. Um, I think the reason that I think it gets done a lot is because I had to read it like six times in grad school. And I was just like this bitch again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and scholars like it and early modern word nerds like us tend to like it. Like when you talk to people in our, in our field, it's like, who's your favorite non-Shakespeare? Oh, Middleton, Rowing Girl. Like that often comes up. And I mean, the only, the only time I've seen it was our one hour cut for camp in 2019. That's the only time I've ever seen it. Um, yeah, I guess I've never seen it. Yeah. And if it, so if anybody wants to see a one hour cut of this play, you know, with a lot of the um, B plot cut out and the A plot cut down, you can go to our ASC Theater Camp YouTube channel and you can see it. Um, the cute production. Real cute kids. <laughs> but, I hear that about kids. They they tend to be yeah. cute. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These kids in particular, though, they they did a good show. They did a good job. Um, let's gossip, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's been it's been a minute since we've done this. Um, yeah. So uh, the the big news out of the the Hamlet side of the Whamlet um, mm-hmm. is that in April, April 23 uh, in Minneapolis, I am running a workshop at the Shakespeare Association of America with my girl Molly Saremet. Um, we are we are doing a pedagogy workshop for like how to close read um, using objects as a way into a text. Yeah, I also I I won some awards. Yeah, you did. 
I don't know if we mentioned this in the spring. I don't think it had happened yet, but I don't remember. And I'm going to just brag on it anyway. Exactly. Let's enjoy it. If you are hearing me say this twice, fuck you. Fuck yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. Um. So my my dissertation, uh, which has a title that I definitely know what it is. Um, uh, Shakespeare race and adaptation in times of unrest, question mark, might be my dissertation's title. Uh, And then there are like some years after it, 16 something to 18 something. Um, anyway, it won, it won some awards. Uh, I won the, um, outstanding dissertation award, uh, at the department level at the university of Alabama. I won one for English. Um, and then I also won, um, at the college of arts and sciences level, which is like noteworthy because for there I was up against like, this is just between, you know, you, me and the trees, but at the English department, I was up against like one other person uh-huh. maybe maybe two <laughs> i was like i mean it's still like i'm 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 not yeah, mad about yeah. it but like it was, but at the at the ans level um i i was up against probably like 50 or 60 other people um and you know that's no no small yeah. feat yeah so uh and then Damn went on right. to compete um at the at the university wide level and lost out to a fucking engineer rude um <laughs> damn you stem fields right fucking stem fields taking it's, all our awards yeah anyway and stuff it's, yeah so it's, fine. Uh, it's you know it's cool it's cool and great and i've got bar- bragging rights um and that's then awesome congratulations a, hey thanks um as a jumping off point from there uh the dissertation is in fact gonna be a book um, I submitted my book proposal to, I don't know why I paused like I didn't know who it was. I submitted it to Cambridge I, like four weeks ago, maybe now, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting here back, but they, the editors there are, um, they, they gave me some, when I met with them, positive vibes and are like, yeah, we, we want to see this proposal. So, right on. um, if, if that uh goes forward i i will have a book out in the world um probably sooner rather than later so yeah (laughs) there it is it's it's uh it's a cool thing yay congratulations yeah thanks (laughs) so that's that's my personal news okay Um, cool and then in the flavor of like our friends yeah, in the flavor of progress of our friends and voices you have heard on our pod in mm-hmm. episodes past, you might like to know that Patrick Harris and Yasmin Hashimi both got their doctorates. They both passed yeah. their dissertation defenses uh, during our uh, hiatus. So, and they I are mean, both, both doctors yeah. now. Also, uh, Courtney Parker, shout out to her. Oh, right. Courtney. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I'm um, so sorry. No, it's fine. Patrick defended in August uh-huh. or maybe at the very end of July, uh, middle, yep. mid, mid end of July. Because he defended right before Courtney did. Courtney defended uh-huh. at the end of July. Yasmin defended like two days ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that um, long ago before yes. this recording. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very, very. But we're just, I'm so, I was, I got to zoom into Patrick's defense and Courtney's defense and mm-hmm. j- 
just like basically sobbed for two hours for both of them. I'm just so <laughs> fucking proud. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do we have do we have Patrick's dissertation title? Do we have that? We must. I must. I definitely <sighs> he do. Put it, he put his whole like title page or something on Twitter, but I don't yeah, hang on. have it. Well, while you're looking for that, also a voice you have heard on our pod yep. many a time. Um, Sawyer Kemp has gotten themselves a teaching position in queens tenure track tenure track yeah position in major hires yeah they are a they're a new yorker now so congratulations sawyer Um, i've been following that journey on twitter too um here it is here it is okay uh sightless substances colon staging black placenessness in shakespeare adaptations Mm, sexy and yeah. alliterative yeah black placelessness which is just nice. fun to say it is. um courtney's dissertation is titled women and witchcraft in early english literature nice and then yasmine um yasmine's is the eroticization of tudor queens in early modern england and beyond mm. and i am so hyped i mean just to read all of these but yasmine um talks a lot about like fan culture of uh tudor queens like mm. the tudors and um the just like romance novels and and mm, i yeah, just yeah, i yeah. cannot wait to get my hands yeah. on oh i love it um love i'm working it. my way through courtney's and it is lit um <laughs> and i just they're all so good they're just they're everybody is so fucking smart so fucking smart so everybody smart. we know yeah, I know. We're so proud. We're just so yeah. proud. Yeah. Um, and and one sort of big gossip thing to cover just over the summer while we were on hiatus, a pretty big wave that rocked the regional Shakespeare community is uh, that Brian Vaughn, who was the artistic director of Utah Shakespeare Festival, um, who had been artistic director since 2011, stepped down pretty abruptly um, oh, yeah. right when they were in rehearsal uh, for their summer season of shows, um, and nobody knows why. I mean, someone um, knows why. Uh, but well, we somebody don't know knows why, why but the, <laughs> the public doesn't know why. It was very kind of hush hush mysterious. Um, so, and and as far as I know, it is an ongoing mystery because I still don't know what happened, yeah. and I can't find anybody to tell me. Uh, and oh, they have named an Utah. interim Utah. Yeah, they've named Not an uh, interim Utah artistic Hagen. director. Derek Charles Livingston. What? <laughs> well, the note just here says UTA. U-T-A-H. So like, well, yeah, but the H hadn't showed up on my screen. <laughs> and so I was like, what about Uta Hagen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Google Docs. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, they named uh, about, I don't know, three weeks later, named an interim artistic director, Jer- Derek Charles Livingston. Um, and that name. is a thing that happened. Yeah, I know. Great. Solid like, name. You know, distinguished sounding yeah. name. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that. There's a whole bunch of other shit. And to for that, I will refer you to Lauren Halverson's new weekly newsletter, Nothing mm-hmm. for the Group, because yep. uh, she keeps her finger on the pulse of basically everything theatrical. So mm-hmm. um, if you want if, if you want a more detailed rundown of what kind of gossip was happening in the last seven months then go there because i can't remember it all um and to answer your question no we don't 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, we can talk well, about the just, queen, but like we don't have to. Yeah, no. I mean, it's. I think it's relevant. Sure. Right. The second so, Elizabethan era has ended. Yeah. So the, the. I mean, the. I guess the the reason that it's relevant to this is because my my knowledge of how um, the the English monarchy works comes from you know the first elizabethan reign right <laughs> like yeah. i i know things about succession and primogeniture and shit because i'm an early modernist and you you right. have to know how that shit works sure. um so i was i was teaching uh on thursday when when the news broke mm-hmm. um and one of my students was like on their computer in class and was like did did you see this and i had a full-on meltdown <laughs> and like lost my goddamn mind oh wow um and then okay. had i had about like 10 minutes between classes um and my second class came in and like saw that i was distracted and immediately pounced <laughs> and i was like you know what fuck it because like we're we were we're in the middle of arden of faversham so mm. it's not irrelevant to talk about uh the the monarchical structure and so Uh i i walked them through like the english royal family tree um and went back to fucking edward whichever in the 30s who was a nazi and like explained Uh succession and primogeniture um and you know what happens when a monarch dies and then like hilariously um went from there to uh, a faculty meeting with my friend nicole um who was like so you know what when are they gonna like swear charles in like like when is, and i was like that babe that's not that's his not. coronation was she did she mean his no, coronation no, no she meant like like when when does he become king like, oh that been happened yeah that happened the minute like, she drew her last yes, breath yeah yeah so i i had to explain again about yeah. like hereditary <laughs> succession um yeah. you know and then like yeah there was there was um on saturday the the like proclamations but it that's the it's not right right you know i i it's a formality like i don't think it has any like legal standing i don't think that if they didn't proclaim him at the fucking tower of london it would have like made him not king um right anyway it's all just very interesting um and of course fucking complicated right like right colonization and imperialism and war yeah crimes. not everybody is sad about it no and i i i <laughs> want to yes i want to i this is not i'm not here standing queen elizabeth i am standing the pageantry um and the the getting to watch a historical moment and like imagine myself 500 years ago <laughs> like mm. thinking you know oh this is how this is like when you know when uh what's her ass died and then liz was queen the first time mm. uh you know mary yeah mary yeah that, that yeah, bitch yeah. that bitch yeah. yeah that girl uh the one that and, killed all the protestants yeah yes yeah yeah it's just i'm yeah yeah i'm really and i'm interested in like him choosing charles as his regnal name the queen is dead long live the king etc yeah cetera. yeah yeah, that was kind of a major thing. And to have it happen only a week after the 25th anniversary of Diana's death, which I think right. is interesting. Just interesting. Just, like just big timing. milestones happening just in timing. a short amount of time. 
between you know from each other's yeah. dates anyway yeah. um thanks for listening we hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started and that we have inspired you to come back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we'll be back in two weeks, uh, as we do, um, for another installment of Whamlet Likes the Weird Shit. Uh, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're taking on um, William Rowley's Birth of Merlin. Yeah. You've, you've never heard of it. Nope. Because no You're one gonna. ever has. It's a bad play. It's a weird play. And we're going to yep. talk about it. So yep. It's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. Can't wait. Yeah. Whamlet out. Deuces. The Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The land on which I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca. Get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the Landback campaign at landback.org. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Catch up girl time, berating yeah. each other's hair and talking yeah. about, you know, stuff. It's not just, it's not just that. Celebrities <laughs> and Taylor Swift. I don't know. No. I don't know what girls talk about. We will not. <laughs> talking about her hey i love taylor swift <laughs> i know you do and i will thank you to take that stank off her name <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna teach a full semester class on taylor swift next year i'm gonna do it wow yeah students have been asking for it and i'm like you know what why the fuck not i, I love mean, taylor give swift. the people what they want i guess saying. that's what i'm saying yes